You're listening to the Formed Book Club from Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute. We are back again, the Formed Book Club. We will begin shortly. In fact, we are beginning right now. And so we're, we welcome all of those thousands of people who may be listening or the four or five who actually are. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't watch a lot of these videos or listen to many podcasts people who do, you know, the internet is full of these things. There's just so much out there. But honestly, uh, tell your friends about this. I mean, you're not going to get a better book discussed than this book by Carl Surratt. You've got Vivian, Joseph Pierce, and even I am here to add something or other. Uh, and I, I just think that this is so phenomenal and so good that it should be passed around. So tell your friends, like us, or whatever you have to do to get people to watch us. But we're going to continue starting on, uh, well, it's actually, what's this chapter about? Oh, yes. Asadia and the Identity Crisis. Uh, but we're going to talk about the liturgy today, beginning on page 140. So first of all, Asadia... Uh, is sloth. Uh, it's one of the seven cardinal sins, but it's more than sloth. It's kind of a mm, disinterest in spiritual things or lack of enjoyment or joy in things spiritual. Or would you like to add to that, Vivian? Or well, it even starts before that with a lack of joy over the gift of life itself. A, a, a inability to take joy in the givenness and giftedness of things. And so if worship of God is the way we show gratitude for what he gives us, if you're kind of indifferent about what he gives you, are you going to be really that grateful? Are you going to go to the effort to thank him and worship him in a holistic way that might make you get out of bed in the morning and put on some nice clothes yeah. and, you know? Yeah. You putting on a nice closer mess? I try. <laughs> really? That's good. Well, you know, you should give make that example to others, but... Uh, you know, even I make an effort to look smart and pass, Father. To look smart? That means to dress, to dress well, you mean. You're never going to look smart, but, I mean, you could possibly dress <laughs> well. terrible. He's terrible. I'm here to be insulted. That's the only reason I'm here. It's part of your descent in order to ascend. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's an act of humility to be just to be on here with Father. Yes. I know. We had someone give a big talk on how you know, suffering really leads to holiness, and so forth. Trying to make people holy, I try to make them suffer. <laughs> contribution, but there was a thought we wanted to begin with, which was well, we both liturgy. Yeah, that there's a connection. That 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 if acedia is kind of the overarching sin of our time then the fact that this is manifested in an indifference and, and slovenliness with regard to the liturgy, that, that's kind of related. Are you accusing Jesuits now? Of, no, sorry, because it, no, you know, they're not the only ones. There, there is the famous expression that, you know, no one is confused as a Jesuit during Holy Week in the, you know, liturgy. Like, we don't know where to go or what, you know, what we're supposed to be doing. So let's go on to what Cardinal Seurat, rhymes with hurrah, as I say, says about the liturgy in, in the context of the crisis of the church. Uh, I want to 
Start on page 140. Anybody mm -hmm. heard of that? Oh, yes. look at that. You've double X. Star, okay. circle, circle. Well, should we flip a coin? Go ahead, read it. Um, I think this is Cardinal Seurat on page 140. I think that it is no exaggeration to say that the church is going through the most serious crisis of the sacrament and sacrifice of the Eucharist in her entire history. And he's a man who knows history. Uh, so it's not just me who thinks that things are pretty bad. I mean, this great cardinal from Africa who has the advantage of kind of seeing liturgy because they do it beautifully in Africa for the most part, coming into Europe and North America and recognize what's happening. He says, hey, you know, this is terrible. And he's the director of the Congregation for Liturgy and Sacraments. Right, so divine I mean, worship and the discipline of the sacraments. That is right. So, okay, he said that. Carlin Ratzinger said that as well. Uh, I think we better take notice. But then the question is, well, what do you say about it? And what does he say the solution is? Mm -hmm. uh, do you think we could continue that quote? Because I also, all three of us obviously had that passage highlighted. But I'd like to continue if we can, because uh, you know, Vivian uh, gave us the first sentence there, which is uh, absolutely unequivocal. But then, you know, he says, the adjournamento of the liturgy did not produce the expected fruits. It is absolutely necessary to continued efforts to eliminate all the folklore elements that turn Eucharists into a spectacle. In the celebration of the Mass, the most incredible fantasies have come to tarnish the Paschal mystery. Strange sorts of music have been broadcast during Masses. There have even been theme Masses. Respect for the liturgical rules have been insufficiently safeguarded. So here we see, you know, there's not, it's not just, uh, it's the catalog of errors um, that have been allowed um, to, to tarnish the beauty of the sacrifice of the mass. And uh, again, I find it very heartening um, that, that a cardinal is being as forthright as this in his pinpointing of the problems. And a cardinal from Africa, because a lot of the... Um Efforts to, to reform the liturgy after the council had to do with evangelizing non-Christian peoples, bringing enculturation, in enculturation yeah. allowing their cultural practices to, to, to somehow be integrated with the mass. And so, here, you know, if it were coming from someone else, you might be able to write them off as one of these sort of stuffy European fuddy-duddies. Or American, like or, me. Or overly attached to Western, you know, blah. But no, here's a man coming from... Another continent and another culture, and has this insight. And it breaks, yeah, it breaks down the stereotypes. You know that, that unfortunately many of us have succumbed to the Marxist interpretation of history. That basically the only reason that that, that the white people like Western civilization is because Western civilization is white, right? So we have right. yeah. showing no. What is good and true and beautiful is good and true and beautiful because it's good and true and beautiful. And it doesn't matter what country you come from, what culture you come from, what color your skin is, that which is good and true and beautiful transcends all of these stereotypes. And the fact that, that, that he is, thanks be to God and by the grace of God, an African, uh, tran transcends those yeah. stereotypes and allows, allows these comments to stand on their own. Look at me. I'm darker than Steph Curry is. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't 
Hey, don't I count for a per person of color? Oh, Father. Plus the fact I'm wearing black. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, let's move on to page 141. Okay. I mean, again, what are, the thing, what are some of the things she talks about? Latin. He talks about the geographic and historical unity, which is explained by Latin. The disappearance of linguistic unity in the literacy in favor of the vernacular language is, to my mind, one possible factor of division. You know, yeah, this is not... not in fact, just three, lines further down, three lines further down, Father, the Second Vatican Council explicitly demands that the Latin language be preserved. Have we been faithful to it? So it's not even a question of you know, pre-Vatican II, post-Vatican II. The point is that this is a denial, not just of tradition that precedes Vatican II, but a denial of the teachings of Vatican II itself. Right. But then he, he makes clear that the preservation of Latin ought to be in some parts of the Mass. Exactly. I think that, that, that there was supposed to be a kind of opening to the Mass so that people could prayed and hear in their mother tongue and yet have this other unifying element to be to be both present at the same time is what the council fathers intended and what we got in, what we have now instead is this bifurcation with you know these two kind form of extremes. all latin or the novus ordo all english but i actually wrote to carlos Seurat this morning and told him about our book club here, and I oh. said, I've been rereading this, and I said, you know, Cardinal, here at Ignatius Press, uh, I want to propose that we produce our own missile with the authentic text of the English translation and add to it as options throughout the Mass Latin parts for the ordinary, the part that doesn't change. So the beginning of Mass, so that, you know, curious, and that's Greek, of course, but I mean, uh, this, the great. Sanctus uh, in the Our Father and so on, so that if a priest wished to have some of the Latin in the Mass, especially the parts that are repeated day after day, Sunday after Sunday, the priest could say it. And then, by the way, another little commercial uh, interjection okay. here, Ignatius Press has a pew missile, which has the Mass in English that you have at your parish with beautiful hymns, some quite modern, others ancient, but it, it tries to combine the church's traditional treasury of music uh, with, you know, modern, uh, you know, contemporary music in a way that now people can actually live the full tradition, not just some kind of truncated. It's truncated if all you do is back, go back to 1500. It's also truncated if you don't go beyond, back, beyond 1970. So anyway, that that's... My uh, action item that I already did, did, did this morning. Well, be, be, before before we, by the way, uh, did you mention to Carlos Sumar whether he might be available to appear on the on, on the book club? Oh, I apologize, I forgot to do that. But if I get a response, I hope I do. Then I'm going to then. By the way, he Cardinal. We know after all, and we're no worse off if he says no. If he says yes, yes then we're that's right. Very good position. Good good job, Joseph. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. It'd be wonderful. And before we actually move on from page 141, if we can backtrack just very little bit to page 140, because obviously okay. one thing which Cardinal Seurat does a lot is to actually quote from Cardinal Ratzinger. Um, and uh, that, towards the bottom of page 140, this wonderful quote from the Ratzinger Report, which, of course, Ignatius Press published. 
we must be far more resolute than heretofore in opposing rationalistic relativism, confusing claptrap and pastoral <laughs> infantilism. These things degrade the liturgy to the level of a parish tea party. Now, one thing I love about this book is I don't know who is actually more forthright in their condemning of modern rubbish, uh, whether it's actually Cardinal Sorrell or Cardinal Ratzinger, but it's certainly <laughs> great to have both. Yes, yes, indeed. So what, what interested me most... Before you turn oh, the yeah, page, yes, yes, yes. on 141, down okay. below the middle, he asked a question, but will people have the courage to follow the counsel to this conclusion? That is to say... Oh. Let us implement what the council fathers actually decided and desired and placed into the documents. Okay. Yes, yes, Next yes, page. indeed. But then the question that follows that is how? How is it to be done? Because now we have the Novus Ordo and in so many parishes throughout the country, sadly, you know, very banal and, and, and uninspiring kind of thing on one hand, and we have the extraordinary form. In, in other parishes, on the other hand, and it and now we're seeing a kind of like two camps yeah. and two camps forming a kind of and he says here it's you know the one thing that's supposed to be the sign of unity communion becoming a battlefield you know th this is not good for the church so so how do we have these rights inform each other? Well, to jump forward, I'm going to go backward too. On page 143 at the bottom, he says. For some, the expression reform of the reformers has become synonymous with the domination of one kind over another. Okay, I don't necessarily agree with that entirely, but I've heard him speak about liturgical reconciliation. Yes. He wants to kind of bring together the riches of the Novus Ordo and the riches of the extraordinary form together. Yes, yes. And that's what we... It certainly was uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict's uh, hope uh, that the one would actually inform and, and if you like almost fertilize the other so we have a richer liturgy all round but I, I would like to say you know page 142 here because you know talking about camps but that the point is that you know there is a there is a something which really should be universal and uniting us which isn't and that's he says here in the middle of the page celebrating ad orientum is part of this it is one of the treasures of the christian people it allows us to preserve the spirit of the liturgy oriented celebration must not become the expression of a partisan polemical attitude on the contrary it must remain the expression of the most intimate and most essential movement of every liturgy turning us toward the Lord. I could, I mean, that's a perfect way of expressing the problem. Um, but it is a problem because the point is what he's saying here is that really every celebration should be ad orientum. In other words, every celebration of the mass should be oriented towards the Lord. And in yet in the vast majority of masses, in spite of the fact that um, Pope Benedict uh, made it clear that we should be turning toward the Lord, the vast majority of masses are still not doing that. They're still versus populum. So, you know, the, the partisanship, I think, is is part of part of the problem is a lack of willingness on the part of many uh, members of the hierarchy and, and and clergy to embrace this turning towards the, the Lord ad orientum. Well, and let me make a distinction here because in the former mass, extraordinary form, the whole mass is celebrated ad orientum, and in that sense. The congregation became almost mere spectators at the mass. 
the Novus Ordo is now often celebrated versus Pompeii towards the people, although the council didn't even mention that. Uh, and then it's another kind of spectacle where you're looking at the priest. But I, being a moderate, uh, trying to take the best of both sides, uh, and looking at the Mass's structure, say this. The first part of the Mass, Liturgy of the Word, the priest represents God for the people. And we read the Word of God, sacred scripture, we comment on it, and the priest, therefore, speaking on behalf of God and the people, is facing the people. And then there's a, there's a response. There's a beautiful thing which, which came after the council, the responsorial psalm, this antiphonal response to the reading. Beautiful. Then comes the offertory. The gifts are brought up. And at that point, now the priest is no longer primarily representing God of the people. He's representing the people, which is the part to God. So that's when you turn and face the altar, face the tabernacle, face east, face the Lord, and we all together offer the sacrifice. And then that's not the high point of the Mass. People often think the consecration is the high point. We ring the bell and everything. Yes, that's not the high point of the Mass. The high point of the Mass it was when the priest, as the spouse of Christ, turns back to the people and offers them the body and blood of Christ, which they receive in a spousal embrace. That's the high point. Wow. So, yes, let's turn back to the people after we've turned to the Lord. Right. Wow. You know. Wow. The whole movement of it is so... Oh, so dramatic. Dramatic and, and, and passionate. You know, without movement, you know, Joseph, you can't have a good story without movement, right? Yeah. Beginning and middle and end and things reversing. And well, I, could, I, could, I could play, for want of a better word, under, under, under the circumstances, devil's advocate here. Um, by suggesting that an I'm going to I'm going to mute I'm going to mute you, but go ahead. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like that good narrative actually always moves forward, and I would and I would suggest that when the priest is speaking for the people, he should be facing the same direction as the people, um, as well as when he's actually sacrificed, he should be facing towards the Lord. So I actually see no particular need for there to be uh, this oscillation between ad orientum and versus populum. That said, before you shoot me down in flames, uh, I have every respect and sympathy for those that have your vision of what the Novus Ordo should be. And I have no problem whatsoever at, uh, being part of that wonderful liturgy. In fact, for many years, of course, when you and I were both at Arvind University, I attended mass celebrated by you in that beautiful way many times. But do you, you do see the distinction, though, between the readings in which there is teaching and, and going on, uh, in which the, the, priest is at, the priest is actually preaching or reading to the people. I mean, doesn't that seem a little odd to you to be reading the epistle facing the altar? Well, no, because I, th I, I, th I think he's, he is still with the people uh, and not the other side of the stage. Um, you know, I, th I think part of the psychology is because of what we're used to, if one person is facing the rest of us, one, one, the rest of us are the audience. And I don't think that's part of the spirit of the liturgy is that we okay. are going to be separated from, you know, from the priest in that manner. Would you please turn around then? Sorry? Would you please turn around then? <laughs> we, 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 we're speaking to each other and we're facing each other. It would yes, but, 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 if you turn mass, around. And, the, the Mass is not about speaking to each other, Father. It, it is, it absolutely is God speaking to us through the priest. Absolutely is God speaking to us through the priest. Whereas the second part of the Mass 
is our offering ourselves to God through the priest, talking to God. But, listen, as I said, as I, as I said, I beg to differ, uh, and I, I, I don't uh, think it. Uh, all right. I don't, well, I don't think it's an either or, Father. I don't think the fact is that I'm going to say, you know, that if 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 any aspect of the mass is versus populum, therefore it's an illicit mass or any nonsense like that. So, you know, it's it's a both and not either or. I just that, for instance, in the extraordinary form, I don't think it's a deficiency or a defect in the fact that in the, in the extraordinary form of the mass, there is no versus populum dimension, except, of course, the turning, the turning for the, for, you know, for, for the, um, uh, the Agnes Dei and, and, and um, when you're actually showing the, the sacrament to the people. And that, that, that's obviously what the priest does turn at that point. I think phenomenologically, though, the, the, the readings are a, an expression, God speaking to the people, through the priest, you don't speak to people with your back turned to them. Whereas phenomenologically, the sacrifice is we are all facing the Lord, we're all talking to him. So there's the difference is that at the first part of the mass, we're speaking to the people. In the second part of the half mass, we're speaking to God. But anyway, you know, well, you yeah, let, me just, let me just say one thing here by way of uh, con uh, concluding this aspect of the discussion. And, and being uh, conciliate to the same time. If the discussion over the liturgy was between my perspective, which I'd actually say, say I prefer the extraordinary form, and yours, which is the Novus Order, done in the manner you've just said, what a glorious church we'd be in. Both people to the left of both of those perspectives. That's true. By the way, I agree with Father. So thank you. I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered two to one. That's fine. Um, but right. we're not a pure democracy, so we're That's not counting. True. But just just for the record, uh, what yep. Father says here just makes so much sense to me. And there yep. are so. But but the question of this: What is the future development supposed to be? Because uh, Cardinal Sarah does talk about this on page 144. Uh, enlightened by the teaching of the modu proprio by Benedict XVI, strengthened by the audacity of Pope Francis, it is time to take its conclusion, this process of reconciling the liturgy with itself. What a magnificent sign it would be if in the next edition of the Reformed Roman Missal, we could insert as an appendix the prayers at the foot of the altar from the extraordinary form, perhaps in a simplified, adapted version, and the prayers of the offertory that contain such a beautiful epiclesis that complements the Roman canon. Then it would finally be obvious that these two liturgical forms throw light on each other mutually, in continuity, and without opposition. So he actually gives us a practical recommendation for some way in which these two liturgical forms can be reconciled with each other. And that was part two of my letter to him this morning. I said, I don't think I need any special permission to include some Latin options because they're already approved. But uh, could we uh, include in the appendix just what you're asking for? Because if you go, most of you watching this or listening to this do not have a Roman Missal of the full thing in your house. But if you go to your church, your parish, go back to the sacristy, look at the Missal, go to the back of the appendices. In the appendices, there are prayers for preparation for Mass and Thanksgiving. They got the prayer of St. Thomas, the prayer of St. Ambrose. That's wonderful. But can't we also add the prayers of the foot of the altar, the offertory prayers? Well, I must say, you know, and Joseph will probably read this on this. I, 
I do think that if you go look at the extraordinary form, the, the mass prior to the council, the octroi prayers are very beautiful, but they, to me, they anticipate too much the consecration. It's too much the sacrifice taking place. I really do like the simplicity of the present octroi prayers. Fruit of the vine, work of human hands. This is our offering. It's ourselves. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have a campaign against using the former offertory prayers, but at least they should be in the offertory, in the appendix where people could use them if they wanted to. Yeah, let, let me, if I can just say one, one thing. I mean, I, I, I'm never, I, you can say many things, Joseph. We never restrict you. <laughs> well, I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing, basically. I have no problem with anything being said, but I actually want to just go, go back to the words of Cardinal Sarah, and we're actually going back a page to 143, just to put it on record from the, from the Cardinal himself. The beginning of the final paragraph on that page it is necessary to encourage strongly the possibility of celebrating according to the old roman missal as a sign of the church's permanent identity but what was until 1969 the liturgy of the church the most sacred thing for us all cannot become after 1969 the most unacceptable thing so i think the reconciliation with the extraordinary form um which which thanks be to god that pope benedict the 16th put in motion with the motto proprio is something which, which is essential. So we actually have this reconciliation between the two forms rather than a, a war between the two of them. Uh, right. That's what I'm, that's what I'm uh, delighted about. And that cross-fertilization, I think, is the dovetailing, maybe even being poetic, the dovetailing as in the Holy Spirit between the two forms of the liturgy. Yes, but speaking as a priest who's trying to promote this reconciliation, you have to be willing to go to battle and do that. Because here's two things. Uh, people in public mind associate any Latin in the Mass or facing East as a rejection of the Council, which is totally false. Right. But yes. you're ready to do battle because, battle of words, battle of ideas, because you got to correct that false idea. Yes. I agree. And, and we find the agree with this, share this with your friends, and especially share them with your enemies. That's the most important. <laughs> and the point is, I agree, I, if, if the same battle is being fought, we have to move people from the position where 90% of them are not from their own fault, but, but because that's what, that, what's what they're given uh, in the celebration of the liturgy in their, in, in their own parishes, towards a, a fuller understanding of what the, the liturgy, the Eucharist is, as, ex, as explicated by both, by both Pope Benedict XVI uh, and by Cardinal Sarah. So basically, it's about moving people towards the Lord, if you like, in their understanding of what the true celebration of the liturgy is. I have a factual question. When he says, for what was until what page? What page? Uh, 143, yes. the quote that Joseph just read, uh, for what was until 1969, the liturgy, the liturgy of the church, but didn't, oh, we lost Joseph. Well, we've lost Joseph, and I think we will take that as a sign to stop stop for now and continue this, finish on the liturgy uh, next week when we find Joseph again. So they can be left in suspense as right. to what my as question said, I, is. I did not mute him. I did not push <laughs> him off. This to receive email updates, study questions, and free access to our online forum, just visit formedbookclub.ignatius.com. Thanks for joining us.